Welcome to Know Your Bible, a program presented by the Churches of Christ and devoted to helping you understand God's Word. The Bible is a book inspired by God that contains answers to your questions. The Bible reveals Jesus and explains His sacrifice, contains God's plan for the family, and timeless principles of parenting. Also has the truth about life and death. The Bible contains great financial advice and also answers questions of morality. Join us as we look for answers to your questions and help you know your Bible. Good morning. Welcome to Know Your Bible. We're glad you're back with us this week and we've got plenty of questions saved up to try to find your answers to. Uh, if you're a first time viewer, let me explain what we do. We take viewers' questions phone number and a website on the screen throughout the program. You can use those anytime uh, to get in touch with us. Uh, if you use the phone number during the program, our operators will answer the phone and take your question for us. And uh, that's what we do is try to find answers to those questions. We get some where somebody wants to know, what's this verse mean or what's this doctrine mean? Real specific biblical kind of questions. And we get a whole lot of questions from people that just want to know how to live life and raise their kids and take care of their finances and are looking for biblical principles to those kind of questions. So we're happy to answer any kind of question you've got that we might be able to find an answer to in the Bible. And we encourage you to either pick up the phone or log on and let us know what you'd like us to talk about. That's what we'll do on Know Your Bible. Let me introduce my partner, Toby Levering. He's back today. Good morning, Toby. Good morning, Steve. How are you? I'm great. I'm all <laughs> studied up, and I know you all are right. too. We're ready to go and try to answer as many as we can today and see if we can get caught up a little bit. Uh, but we always give our viewers one first, so let me start with that. Here's your question for the day. There's a town in the New Testament where the people were called more noble. Uh, and it was because of their Bible study. I'll give you a little tip there. So uh, we'll see if you know the answer to that town at the end of the program. We'll give you the answer then. I think I drew the first one today. So let's see if I can find the answer. Uh, viewer wants to know which version of the Bible is the Lord's true version? All right. Which Bible? To, viewer wants to go to the Bible bookstore and buy the right translation of the Bible. Get the Lord's true version. Until they're serious. Well, serious yeah, Bible good. student. That's, that's good. a good thing. Uh, let me explain it this way. Uh, back in the Old Testament, Elijah and Malachi <coughs> and those guys uh, sat down with a piece of goat skin and a pen of some sort and wrote their book. Okay. The Holy Spirit guided them as they wrote. He directed them along and got exactly what God wanted. In the New Testament days, John and Paul and those got a piece of parchment and a pen and sat down and wrote their books, their letters, and the Holy Spirit guided them along. So that piece of goatskin, that piece of parchment, if we had that, that would be the Lord's true version, I guess. Uh, that was the brand new, spanking new <laughs> Word of God right there. Uh, but we don't have any of those. They have been copied over and over. Uh, and at some point they began to be translated into other languages. So somebody that knew Hebrew and whatever language he wanted to translate it into, like Latin, would translate what Elijah wrote, a copy of what Elijah wrote, into Latin. Uh, and as all that happened, minor changes occurred. Now, we believe God oversaw that, so nothing important got changed or lost, but we don't have 
I guess, the Lord's true version. Uh, everything we've got is a, from a manuscript, a copy, and a translation that somebody has worked on. Now, once again, I believe God has preserved His Word. I don't think there's anything false in it. But the Lord's true version is what this person's after. And I guess I'm saying uh, you got to take your best shot at which translation is the closest uh, to that. And there are some great translations. Uh, we, are, we have huge amounts of study about the manuscripts and the copies. Uh, and we're certain that they're very, very accurate. Uh, bear in mind, this is not any different than any other ancient book that we study. If you sit down and read Julius Caesar's writings, same process. It's been copied, copied, translated, translated. Uh, and the Bible is much, much, much more accurate than any other ancient book that we have. So uh, the selection of a translation, as we've said many times, you try to get the best balance between accuracy and readability. The most accurate, the direct translation from Greek to English isn't hard to read. And a paraphrase is real easy to read, but it's not very accurate. So try to balance those, get some help, uh, ask your preacher, go to the Bible bookstore, uh, look them over. We recommend New King James is a good one, uh, New American Standard is a good one, New International Version is a good one, uh, and lately we've been recommending the ESV, the English Standard Version is a good translation. So any of those uh, will give you God's message. He's protected it for us. Uh, we've got it available today. Steve, if I might, <coughs> uh, uh, if you're familiar with the um, Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, you were talking about the copies and the copies mm -hmm. of copies. That that discovery, which is like in the 50s or something, I mean, it, it took our best manuscripts and gave them about a thousand extra years when they discovered those copies in those caves. Mm -hmm. And so what they found was that the copies we had and the copies that were a thousand years older, pretty close. And so I, I just, you know, as you were talking about copies and recopies, you're exactly right. The meticulous nature that the, that the translators took, and whenever they'd make one mistake, they'd burn the whole thing. And I mean, yeah. they just took absolute care <clears throat> as the Word of God. So we can trust the translations and the copies that we have today are, are very good. And I think you had exactly right answer. So. Got some good recommendations there. Alrighty. Okay. That's what your viewer yeah. want to know. Bible uh, viewer asks: The Bible promises we will receive whatever we ask for if we pray in faith. I prayed that my husband wouldn't die, but he still died. Is my faith too small? Well, first I want to start by saying I'm very, very sorry for your loss, and I would never. Uh, condemn someone's faith as being too small, uh, and I don't think you should blame yourself. Um, I don't know the circumstances or, or the context, so I can't speak much more to it than that, but I know that must be a very, very difficult thing, and, and I'm very sorry that, uh, that you're going through this difficult time. Uh, my counsel to you is to, to lean on God and to trust Him and to, to just draw near to Him. Uh, the scripture says the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. And from your question, I can tell that you are brokenhearted. Um, and, and by no means, I can assure you, was your husband's death, however it occurred, was a, a punishment or a result of, of your faith or lack of faith. That's just the wrong kind of thinking. Um, it's really beyond any of us to know a measure of anyone else's faith. I mean, only God can truly know that. Uh, and I will say, 
however you lost your husband in whatever way, uh, that's just something you're never ready for, whether you're newlyweds or been married 60 years. I, I don't think that the death of a spouse uh, would ever be something you're ready for or prepared for. Um, so it's, it's beyond my ability to say and speak into, but I do know that that's a tragic, uh, heartbreaking thing. I want to encourage you with a story about a man who died uh, that Jesus was very close to. And uh, this man's sisters loved Jesus very much. And they kind of were feeling what you were feeling, that you know maybe if their faith had been stronger, if Jesus had been there, he wouldn't have died. And Jesus responds to them in a way that I want to share with you. Uh, so let's look at John chapter 11. This is the story of uh, Jesus and Lazarus, Mary and Martha. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory that God's, so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Now we, we look at that story and uh, we kind of read it knowing how it's going to end because we know, of course, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, but Mary and Martha didn't know that. Uh, they didn't see what was coming. And uh, Jesus was very close to them, less than two miles away, but yet he delayed his stay and there was purpose in it. Um, <coughs> And my point with all of that is God has a bigger picture than we can ever know or understand or see. And so part of our faith is trusting in Him and knowing that uh, regardless of the circumstances that God is going to work it out. He goes on to say, and this is not on your screen, but I'll read it. Verse uh, 25 of John chapter 11. Now Jesus said to her, and he's, he's talking to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? And Jesus was saying, you know, the, the point here is, I know you're heartbroken, but just trust in me and everything will work out. And I, I will counsel you in the same way. So I don't think your faith was too small. I'm not going to judge your faith. I know it's a difficult circumstances, but I, I do encourage you to draw even closer and put your trust more greatly in the Messiah. I hope that helps you. Here it says in 1 Corinthians 11, is Paul talking about a woman's hair or about a veil? Uh, should we use head coverings today? All right, let's go to the one verse that will help us understand a little about this chapter in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 4 and 5. Paul said, Every man who prays or, <clears throat> or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. And every woman who prays, and every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered, dishonors her head. It is just as though her head were shaved. <clears throat> okay, so uh, interesting passage here. The church in Corinth was having a problem. Uh, the problem was that the converts uh, who had come to Christianity, there were some Jews, there were some Greeks, there were some pagans, and they all had different practices about worship. 
Jews come in covered their heads, and they still do today. Uh, Jewish men going to worship wear a head covering. Uh, Greeks didn't cover their head when they worshipped their Greek gods. <clears throat> and pagans had all kinds of different practices about whether they covered their head or not. So all these people come to church together and there's confusion. Well, that's what this chapter is about. Paul hears their problem. They had forwarded it to him. He answers the question by giving them a ruling. He says, here's what I say. And his ruling was that men ought to wear a head covering <clears throat> when they go to worship and women did, shouldn't wear a head covering. Uh, no, I got that backwards, didn't I? Men, <laughs> I told you this was a tricky passage. <laughs> His ruling was that women ought to wear a head covering as a sign of submission, and men shouldn't wear a head covering. All right, that's the, that's the ruling that he gave the church in Corinth. Uh, the the trick on this one is, <clears throat> and, and with many things in the Bible, is is it cultural? Was it just for that time? Or is it a universal ruling? Is that for all times? Uh, and we don't have time to talk about how you decide that. But uh, our belief is that this is a cultural thing. This was for the people in Corinth. Uh, it applied to them and their specific problems. So he told them what to do in that case. Uh, so my answer is follow your cultural uh, conditions. Conform to your culture. In America, men take their hats off when they go inside. That's a sign of good manners. It's a sign of respect. Men don't wear hats inside. Uh, more and more are starting to, but they shouldn't. We ought to stay with the old ways, I think. Uh, and women, it's all right if they wear a hat inside or a head covering of some sort. Uh, now today I think it's more about fashion than a sign of submission uh, when women wear hats. Uh, but uh, today, the point, my point is, today a head covering is not that big a deal. Uh, it doesn't show submission or respect or anything. It's just a fashion thing. So conform to the culture. Uh, men, you ought to take your hats off when you go in any side building. Uh, show respect. Uh, and even when you're outside, if you've got a ball cap on, at least wear it the right way. Point the bill <laughs> toward the front where it belongs. Uh, and <laughs> you'll be all right. Uh, so I think that's a cultural passage in 1 Corinthians 11, uh, and we don't need to, to follow it today. I know some people do, and some people take it, and if it's on your conscience and you think you need to, uh, that's all right also. All right, let me take just a moment and tell you a good way to study the Bible and learn a little bit about it with some free Bible study materials that we have at uh, Know Your Bible. We'll get them to you in the mail. It's a correspondence course. Uh, doesn't cost you a thing. It takes a little bit of time and effort, but we pay the postage and everything else. So all you have to do is uh, have a Bible and a pen and sit down and spend a little time reading what the course tells you to, uh, answering a few questions so you know that you've studied it well, and then send it back to us. Uh, we'll grade it for you and send it back with the next lesson and gives you a little accountability and helps keep you studying. Uh, helps a lot of people form a regular habit of Bible study when they take this course and work their way through it. Uh, and we've got more advanced courses beyond this one, so we're happy to keep you studying for a long time. So give us a call either on the phone number or log on to the website so you'd like that free course. We'll get it in the mail to you, and we think you'll enjoy studying it. All right, got a pastor question yeah, here, Toby. Yeah, a pastoral <laughs> question. All right, a viewer wants to know, our, our pastor says he is an ordained minister with Christ's authority, so he can forgive sins. I don't think that sounds right. Does the Bible give him that authority? 
Well, I'm going to counsel you here to follow your instinct. Uh, that is not right, and the Bible does not give him that authority. Uh, scripture is very plain that um, there's no one that can forgive sins but God alone. And Christ had that authority when he did the miracles. He, he forgave sins and, and uh, healed the people, and he, he said, I heal people so that you know that I have the authority to forgive sins. So Christ alone uh, has the authority to forgive someone their sins, I guess I would say your pastor might be able to forgive sin if he can meet some conditions. Uh, one, he has to be sinless. Uh, two, he has to be eternal. And three, he has to have paid the price for your sins. So I don't think any of those three even come even close to applying to your pastor or any pastor for that reason. Only Jesus and the apostles had that direct authority uh, to forgive the sins and so we only know all the apostles have passed away, obviously, so only Jesus has that authority. We have to submit to his will. I've got several scriptures for you that let's just look at together. John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus says the only way. First Timothy 2, 5, for there is one God and one mediator between God and mankind, the man Christ Jesus. Hebrews chapter 7 verses 23 through 25. Now there have been many of those priests since death prevented them from continuing in office, but Jesus lives forever. He has a permanent priesthood. Therefore, he is able to completely save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. And last but not least, 1 John chapter 2, my dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. So, nope, your pastor does not have that authority in the Bible or anywhere else, and no one has that authority but God alone, which he gave to his son, Jesus Christ. So, hope that helps. All right. Let me add a word of caution there, and I agree with everything you said. And a pastor who says, I have the power to forgive sins, yep. and I'll decide if that's forgiven or not. Obviously, that's not biblical. But since we get all these questions second or third hand, right, yeah, uh, let me fair caution that maybe this person <laughs> didn't listened, quite hear that. Yeah. Maybe he listened to a pastoral counseling session and the pastor counseled them that uh, they didn't seem like they had really repented or they weren't serious about mm -hmm. this or, or something like that. The person said, well, I'm sorry, I won't do it again. And the pastor saying, no, there's got to be more to this right. repentance. Uh, so, We'll admit we hear things second and third hand. We're not judging good pastoral counseling, uh, telling somebody that they need to show signs of repentance. So even John the Baptist said that. <laughs> uh, they all said we repent. And he said, well, let's see some signs right, that you've repented. Right, let's see right. some changed life here. Uh, so make sure we don't uh, yeah, I uh, offend any pastoral counselors like that. It seems like to me that. weird to think that a pastor would presume that authority. You never know. I mean, there are just... Yep, quite possible. <laughs> Okay, speaking of weird, that's my next question. Uh, why are there, the viewer wants to know, why are there so many weird religions out there? Uh, well, if there are some strange religions out there and people will believe just about anything. Uh, and I guess that's the answer, is people will believe about anything. A couple of Bible verses that might help. Second uh, Timothy 4.3, uh, Paul warned that the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, 
they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. So Paul's warning is there's going to be a time when people don't want to hear the Bible, they don't want to hear sound doctrine, but they want to accommodate their desires, they want to be told that what they're doing is all right, so they'll find teachers to tell them that. Well, there's the answer. That's why there's so many weird religion, is people don't want to follow God's Word, and they can find teachers who will give them what they want. Uh, there are leaders out there who because of ego or power or greed or, or something will supply what people want. And the viewer's right. You can find, you listen to watch TV or uh, listen to talk radio. Uh, on Sunday mornings you can find just about any kind of teaching you want. Uh, that's why people want to hear what they want to hear and there's men who are unscrupulous enough to give them what they want. So that's my answer why there's so many weird ones out there. Uh, let me talk to you about some good places to go looking for a church. Uh, you won't find a weird religion. Uh, let me invite you to visit a Church of Christ near you. We like to mention a few each week that support this program and today we want to focus on some in uh, Central Kansas, uh, Douglas, Kansas, Emporia, and Eureka. All are fine congregations of the Church of Christ that uh, believe in this program and study and uh, believe the Bible a lot like we do here on Know Your Bible. So you'd be uh, comfortable there and warmly welcome at any of these Churches of Christ or any other Church of Christ near you. Uh, we invite you to drop in sometime. Tell them thank you for providing the program. Uh, maybe you live in one of these towns and know somebody that uh, attends that congregation. Just tell them you watch Know Your Bible and you appreciate them providing it for you. All right, Toby, old and new. Yep, a uh, viewer asked the question, why is the Old Testament even discussed if the New Testament replaces it and we are not to practice the old law? Uh, well, I'd answer it simply. I think we can learn a lot of valuable lessons from history. Uh, I read a lot of books and history and biographies are, are some of those. And they lived in a time when, you know, the things were different. Laws were different. Expectations were different. Culture was different. You still learn a great deal of lessons from their stories. And I am quite sure that's why the Old Testament is in there. Uh, there are two basic reasons I'm going to give you. Uh, first is the Old Testament is God's perfect standard of holiness. And there are well over 600 commands that God gave to His people. And these are God's perfect standard. And what we quickly find out, even just by looking at the, the basic 10 that we, we should know from Exodus 20, uh, is that we cannot ever fully keep God's standard of holiness. His, his standard of perfection is far beyond what we could ever hope to attain. So the Old Testament sort of leaves us feeling empty because we, we can't, you know, we sort of look at it and we go, oh, I've broken all these rules, now what? And that's the beauty of the Old Testament is it points to a coming Savior, uh, a coming Messiah. Um, and the, the second is that there are very powerful lessons that are told in stories. And the Old Testament is full of great stories that teach powerful lessons. Uh, in the New Testament, you've got a, a, many more commands and just very simple basic principles that are just listed and spelled out, and that's great. But it's sometimes good to have a story to illustrate and to, to open up these truths of Scripture. 
So we can learn about temptation by looking at the story of David and Bathsheba. We can learn the, about courage uh, and faith by looking at the story of Daniel. We can learn about faith by looking at the story of Abraham. And, and there are so many good stories like that. So God's perfect standard of holiness and also the value of stories uh, from the Old Testament. I think are the two uh, very strong benefits we get in studying the Old Testament. Uh, Paul addressed this in writing to the church at Rome in chapter 15, verse 4 of Romans. He said this, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. So I hope that helps you. Very good. Viewer wants to know, is there anywhere in the Bible that says it's sinful uh, to drink tea or coffee? Is it sinful to drink tea or coffee? Well, coffee I think is probably sinful. Uh, tea is all right. <laughs> I say that because I've never learned to drink coffee and it's easy for me to say that. Uh, but I do drink a lot of iced tea, so we'll have an exemption there. Uh, no, there's nowhere in the Bible that says it's wrong to do that. I know there are some religions that uh, practice that and don't do their members uh, tr try not to drink anything with caffeine in it, tea or coffee or Coke or anything like that. Uh, and that's fine. It's a good thing to do if you want to set yourself apart from the world a little bit. And certainly caffeine is not good for us, so uh, not, a, not a bad thing to set yourself apart from them. Uh, but the Bible doesn't say anything about it. There is one verse, however, I think that might apply, uh, and I think Paul gives us some good advice in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 12. He says, everything's permissible for me, but not everything's beneficial. Uh, everything's permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. Now, some people are mastered by coffee or tea or Coke or uh, something like that. I knew one guy at work that used to go to the brick truck all the time and come back with a Diet Dr. Pepper or two or three. Uh, and the doctor finally said, man, you got to get off this stuff. It's about to kill you. Uh, so it, it had mastered him. And Paul says, I won't be mastered by anything. I'll watch my life and make sure, uh, even though it's permissible for me to do it, I'm not going to let it control me or my body or my thinking. Uh, and caffeine can do that. So maybe that's a verse that could help. But no, the Bible doesn't uh, say anything sinful with drinking uh, tea or coffee. All right, time that, for one last I'm one. So I'm so thankful think, for that. <laughs> Just, I'm the coffee drinker on, <laughs> on the crew here. Okay, uh, last question for this episode. Was Sarah blood kin to Abram? If so, where can I find that? Well, the answer is yes. Uh, er, uh, Sarah, actually her name was Sarai before she, her name was changed. And uh, Abraham's name was Abram. And Sarai was Abram's half-sister. If you look at the scripture in Genesis chapter 20, verses 11 through 13, you can kind of see that. And I'll read that. Uh, Abraham replied, I said to myself, there is surely no fear of God in this place because they will kill me and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not of my mother. And she became my wife. And when, <clears throat> so uh, Genesis chapter 20, verses 11 and 12 and 13, uh, Gen Abram said exactly that. She was my half sister and he just uh, decided to tell a half truth there, which... <laughs> Alrighty. So, uh, might make a good trivia question yeah. someday. Yeah, Who was Abram's half sister? <laughs> um, all right, we're out of time for questions today. We're going to 
stop and go take a little coffee break or yeah, tea sounds break. Good. And sounds good. We can we'll go to Starbucks. And... We'll, be back next, <laughs> we'll be back next week. But let's make sure we answer our trivia question for the day. Uh, in what town were the people more noble? Well, if you go to Acts 17 and 11, it says that the people in Berea, the Bereans were more noble. And the reason they were more noble is because they checked the scriptures. And that's good advice for our viewers too. When we're done talking and telling you all these answers, you go check the scriptures. Uh, make sure we're telling you the truth. That's what the Bereans did with the Apostle Paul after he preached. Uh, they went home and checked the scriptures to make sure he was telling them a straight scoop. So you can do the same with us. We're glad you've been with us today. We invite you to be back next week on Know Your Bible. Till then, you have a great week. Know Your Bible has been presented by the Churches of Christ in your area. Churches of Christ are non-denominational and each congregation is an independent group of Christians seeking to do God's will. Our goal is simple New Testament Christianity. We follow the Bible as our only guide. Contact us with any questions and we encourage you to visit a Church of Christ near you.